0: You motherfucker. All right. Welcome in on another episode.
1: <laughs> okay. Whatever. All right. Welcome in on another episode of the Outside Lines podcast. This is your favorite co-host, Newt. And before we get uh, started with this interview with the great Hyven Gadsden, as always, we are sponsored by BNC Fieldhouse. If you're in Ames and you are not hitting up BNC Fieldhouse, AJ's or Mickey's for your weekday or weekend nights, then I don't know what you're doing because it has the best drink deals on Welch, the best cheeseburgers, and you're supporting our boy, Ben, who is the king of Ames. Um, So that is like the trifecta of amazing things. Um, We appreciate Ben so much for what he does um, and having great spots across Ames and You just be silly to not be going there, spending your money, spending a good Friday night, Saturday night, any night of the week. Um, You know, they have mug deals, drag shows on Thursdays. Aside from Mondays, they're closed on Mondays. They are closed on Mondays. They are closed on Tuesdays. Thank you, Mason. Um, That was your least favorite co-host, Mason, hopping in with a little bit of the intro as well. But um, yes, so please go support our boy, Ben, um, and BNC Fieldhouse and affiliates. And we hope you enjoy this interview with Kyvan.
0: All right. Welcome in on another episode of the Outside the Lines podcast. Today, we have a very, very, very special interview today. We're kind of, uh, we're changing the the waters here. We we've dove into football and basketball. We're diving into a territory that, admittedly, New and I don't know as much about, but we are here to talk about it with none other than a national champion, a three-time All-American, three-time Big 12 champ, Kevin Gadson, how you doing today, man? So so happy to have you on. And like I said, we don't know a ton about wrestling. I like to think I kind of know some stuff, but yeah, we're in um, completely new territory here. So we appreciate you coming on, man.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for reaching out. I appreciate it. I'm I'm excited to be on and um just uh, talk with you guys about wrestling life and you know whatever else. So thank you for having me.
1: Love
0: to hear it, man. Well, I got to admit something. The what kind of I guess, motivated me to reach out to you and see if you would, you know, be willing to do an interview with us is I made the mistake of talking about the Cyhawk debacle, right? And as I was about halfway through the story, I realized I really didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) And I realized that I was just basing it off of the videos that I saw of all the commotion. So explain this to me. Like I'm a five-year-old, explain it to me from the man with the mic in the chair how did everything go on with the with Desanto? Maybe ha- trying to hijack your mic. Just just explain it to me like I'm a five year old. How did that situation happen? And uh, I guess yeah, from a non wrestler's perspective, you know what was so what was so wild about it? What started it? I guess.
2: <laughs> well, I think that the relationships started it. So, like, if you think about. Iowa State staff and where they went to college, um, the relationships that they might have previously had with the coaches um, at the school down the down the road, Uh, it could make for some either really boring, you know, um, entertainment. Or some very lively entertainment. I think based off those relationships, um, whether they're good, bad, indifferent, um, there were some things being said just um, from old teammates. You know, like everyone has the horror horror stories of old teammates or old coaches um, and maybe how relationships didn't. Um, go the way that they would have liked or just ended up sour for one reason or another. So I think a lot of it goes back to relationships. Uh, Again, the the Iowa State staff, um, all of them wrestled over at the University of Iowa. And so I think based off some things that happened, um, there were some ill feelings. And so I think that's where it started. I don't think it started in Hilton Coliseum, you know, on December 5th. I think those things go back to, you know, maybe five, six years ago and, um times like that where maybe we weren't privileged to see those things and we're just seeing not the root cause, um, but we're just seeing, I guess, the behaviors from those things.
0: Yeah. So it was it was festering for a while. It wasn't one nest like one thing in particular that created the spiral. It was just festering for a while.
2: Absolutely. I think personally.
0: Yeah. So what did if you don't mind sharing, what did DeSanto say to you? Uh what, Again, I tried I listened to the video probably five separate times, trying to figure out what he said. So, what did he say that eventually led you to say, "Hey, you want the mic, buddy?"
2: <laughs> so it started probably, and I don't know. this could have even started maybe a couple of years ago because a couple of years ago when he was wrestling at Drexel University, uh, he was he, he came off his high school state title where he had beat Spencer Lee and um, he had already committed to Drexel and when he got to Drexel, they don't have like red shirts. So he started for them right away. And right away, I think his his pace brought a lot of different um, a lot of different obstacles for some guys to you know learn to deal with. And I remember Ian Parker was going to be wrestling him because they were coming into um Matt Azevedo, the head coach at Drexel, wrestled at Iowa State. So they were coming in for a duel. And I remember just doing some research and um talking to Ian Parker. And um Ian Parker was like, well I'm gonna I'm gonna walk him I'm gonna welcome him to you know college Big 12 wrestling. You know, because he had came off some like big wins and everybody was you know hyping him up on flow and stuff like that. And I think during that time, I said, well, I think um, on the commentating, I was like, well, Ian Parker said he was going to welcome the freshman in college wrestling. And, um, that's a warm welcome or something like that. Right. And so it could go back to that. I don't know if he remembers that, but he's always been. I'm um, very animated, I would say. And so then in this situation, uh, he kind of he guides. I wouldn't say he pushed him, but he guides. I would say guy off the mat and then. Um he walks up to like the scorers table in that whole commotion and he looks at me and he goes like this. <laughs> and um, I kind of just like okay, like he, he kind of just looked at me and just gave me, yeah, you know, the, the he the two sign for for a takedown. And I thought that was unique. Uh and then along with that, later in the duel, uh at heavyweight. Um, the Iowa State heavyweight bumped into the Iowa heavy bait when they were going back to the center, and he was really animated in the background, like you could hear him. He was just like, "Ah, ah, mm-hmm. commentate that, commentate that." And so that was that was his thing. I, I guess he didn't feel like I was commentating fairly um, at that point, so he he made it known that he wanted me to commentate that. So um, with that, I just asked him if he wanted the mic Um, uh, because it looked like he he needed a little bit of attention or some love. So uh, if that was the case, I just wanted to make sure if he wanted the mic, um, I asked him respectfully. So.
0: That was perfect. I mean, you handled the entire situation with, with such ease. And I would have been so speechless that I, I, I would have just been dead air. We make the joke all the time on our podcast, dead air, because sometimes I don't know, we just don't know what to say. And I would have just been speechless. So, yeah, I mean, respectfully asking, Hey, do you want the mic buddy in an endearing manner? So he knows that, Hey, this is your invitation to speak if you want it. And I I take it that he didn't, he didn't take you up on that opportunity. Did he, he did,
2: he did not, he did not uh, take me up on that opportunity. And I think, I think if he would have, I don't know uh, how much deadier there would have (laughs) been if if he would have wanted the mic, but I'm sure, I mean, they, they interview those guys all the time. Uh, I haven't seen him in any interviews lately, but he definitely has opportunities to speak on those things. And, uh, if he, if he so chooses, so yeah, he didn't want the mic in that case. Um, and so, uh, it is what it is.
0: Fair enough. All right.
1: So as a, as a commentator, you obviously showed that you were pretty, uh, pretty smooth and, uh, a high pressure situation and whatnot, how has it been getting into, you know, commentating and also with something like the Cyhawk and being, you know, an Iowa state wrestler, having so many ties to school, is it hard to not be biased or to have a little bit of, you know, sort of favoritism toward the Cyclones when you're also have to separate sort of that fandom from professionalism?
2: Yeah, it's absolutely extremely tough because not only am I, an Iowa State guy for life, I still am in the Cyclone Regional Training Center where I, like, wrestle with these guys. I'm around these guys in the locker room every single day. So uh, one thing that happened to me when I was probably a freshman, I tore my shoulder out in my, like, first match in Hilton Coliseum, and there were some, I think, pretty harsh and unkind things said about me over the the broadcast and I didn't feel like they were fair to me. And so I always have to be and want to be very aware of what I say about a young man um, because I think it carries some weight. And if, if it's not something I'm going to say to you in a private conversation, I'm definitely not going to say it over, you know, over the air for, you know, thousands you know, of people to hear. So, and there might be something I won't say over here that I'll say to you in, in private so that you can um, have a better understanding of maybe what it looked like from a viewer or a commentator's perspective. So it's definitely tough at times trying to keep that impartialness or non bias uh, because I'm commentating for ESPN Plus now, not Cyclones.tv. When I was commentating for TV, I could be a lot more iowa state um pro iowa state and so now tr- tr- making sure i'm doing the research on the other schools and really trying to step out of that comfort zone of just being iowa state it's been a lot tougher but it's also led to i think a lot more growth so hopefully there'll be some opportunities out there or created um uh, for me that I can um, commentate other schools so that people can see that I have the ability to do uh, schools that I'm not as familiar with.
0: So I, I love your philosophy on, if I'm not going to say it to their face, then I'm not going to say it to the entire world. And that to me seems so simple, it, but at the same time that never happens. And and I mean, we we run this podcast, and it's not even doesn't even sniff anywhere close to what you know you commentators, you know the numbers you commentators you know go through. However, I go off the rails so easily, and I'll say things that I don't even really mean. Um, and I couldn't even imagine having that showcase for the entire world. But how? Why is it that nowadays so many commentators will really just get on those tangents, and they'll kind of lean into them rather than pull back? Do you think that's good for? I I was going to say the sport of wrestling, but really just commentating in general. Do you think that's good where they sometimes kind of lean into their emotional side of things? Or do you think um, it's best to just always be professional and to just, you know, really mean what you say and slowly say just so you can make sure that you're not saying anything the wrong way? I guess I just have a lot of respect for the guys that go off the walls and and they nail it somehow, you know?
2: Yeah, I think it, it just depends on it depends on who you are as a person. And, and for me, it's like one of those things like I'd much rather if, if I see something from a kid, like maybe a kid quits or uh, I don't believe the effort was there. I'd much rather go talk to that kid privately and let them know, like, hey, I, I feel like your effort wasn't there and that's going to that's going to look really bad. And so I'd, I'd much rather have that conversation Um, because there you know there are parents out there there's you know people that love you and that care about you and then the the truth of the matter is you never know what's going on in someone's lives while they're out there trying to compete you know for example i tore my shoulder out and um it was said you know basically like oh this kid doesn't have any heart you know like he's not tough and i'm just like so i go out there knowingly with you know I'm hampered or injured, and I go out there looking to compete and just compete at the highest level, and my body just didn't hold up to that point. And so at that point, for someone to say, like, I don't have any heart or that I'm not tough is, like, the exact opposite of what the truth is. Like, I'm out here trying to figure out a way to win, trying, you know, putting my, you know, health and mental health on the line, and it's getting called out because it doesn't essentially look good Um, but then those things were never echoed to me in a private sentiment or in a one-on-one conversation. So for me, it's just about respecting people, um, because you don't know what someone's going on, you know, like my dad passed away while I was in college. Right. And, um, I know some of those matches that I wrestled while he was dealing with, with that were very tough matches for me that didn't, um, meet the eye, the eye test. Right. And then there was matches even after he passed away that didn't meet the eye test of maybe full effort or full focus. Um, And so I try to be aware of what maybe that person is going through um, so that I don't say anything that I feel is disrespectful. Like, if I want to say something that's disrespectful, I'll just say it to you in a private moment and, you know, face to face, and we'll go from there. But it's not something I'm going to say and then hide behind a camera You know, I'd much rather just um, say it to you, you know, in a, in a setting where maybe you can receive it better than me saying it to everyone else and not having anything to say to you.
0: Very respectable. My goodness.
2: Yeah. Um, we
1: want to, I loved the way you kind of talked about your, your shoulder injury and overcoming that. Um, I think one thing that I think you, you kind of touched on a little bit is like, um, you know, while it is like. A physical injury there's also that mental aspect of where you were before injuring something and then getting back to where you like expect yourself to be or like that eye test of where you think you should be um could you just like talk more about that you know i would assume this is once again not knowing wrestling out shoulder is probably one of the worst injuries you can have in wrestling i would assume you're you're using (laughs) that a lot um it might be the most important aspect of your body um in wrestling. So like, just, I guess, kind of like, how is that as an athlete when, you know, if that's sort of the first major injury that you've had during your career, and especially at such a a level, like, you know, you're just entering into your college career and you get sort of, you know, hampered by something like that. Like how hard is that? Not just physically, but also mentally on you to really work through that and persevere.
2: I think it, I think it was tough for me personally, it was tough because I came back expecting to be the same person, right? I I didn't take the time to really understand why it happened. And so when, again, you don't look at the root cause of it, then you're going to put yourself probably in those same situations. So like, for example, if it was happening because I kept taking shots and getting myself extended with my arms out here and letting guys sprawl on me uh, at 100 you know, 89 pounds and up. Whereas when I used to weigh 125 pounds, you know, as a freshman or 145 as a sophomore, it's like, you can maybe get away with some of that stuff because the guys aren't as strong, their hips aren't as heavy, things like that. So initially when I came back from my first shoulder surgery, which was right after my senior year of high school, I didn't really look to adapt anything in terms of, Oh, this is why you're getting hurt. It wasn't until the second maybe really the third injury that I was like, if you don't change some things, you're not going to be wrestling anymore. And so with that understanding and with me looking at like the root cause of your flaw technically, you're not as good technically as you need to be to compete at this level consistently and healthily. So you're going to have to make some some big changes so that you can keep yourself healthy. And once I looked at, again, the the root cause, it was just uh, understanding of, okay, I need to be better technically here. Um, if I'm better technically, then I won't get stretched out. And if I'm smarter in terms of my IQ and how I'm thinking about the match, if I do get stretched out, if I let that go, I can live to fight another day. You know, have you ever, you guys seen Friday? Friday. Friday the movie. I don't think uh-uh. so. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh man, <laughs> with Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. You guys, oh have boy! Seen it? I, I haven't. I, I'm seen so it. bad <laughs> about
1: watching movies. Like oh, I'm
2: not lie, wow. I'm panicking right
1: now. movies. And
2: wow, you guys just aired yourself out. But anyway, I,
1: I've heard about
0: yeah. Friday, and I've heard it's great. So that's kind of why I'm panicking.
2: So, so in, in the movie, he goes. He's like, um, you basically. He was talking about. Um, uh, guns, but he was like, if you don't use guns, you know, you'll live to fight another day. Right. And so for me, it was like that same type of thought process. It was like, sometimes you can let your ego get in the way, uh, and not grow like you're supposed to, but sometimes you're going to have to let your, if you get in a bad position, you let yourself get scored on or you get scored on. So you don't get injured because if you get injured again, it's over, right? Like it's done. But if you just get scored on, you can still continue to fight and look to win that match. But it's your ego or your your pride or that sense of pride that's going to stop you from accomplishing the things that you set out to accomplish. So it was very humbling for me.
0: Man, you you really give me – this is not at all a question I had, but you give me some Giannis Antetokounmpo vibes. You know, just very humble and very much so the mentality of – if I do things the right way, then good things will happen, you know? So has that, have you always kind of been that way or no, I'll I'll just, I'll just share. Like, I I feel when I talk with athletes and even when I was, you know, an athlete back in my day, back in high school, you know, (laughs) you do let your ego sometimes overwhelm you and it might not be all the time, but it could be in certain moments. So, you know, if you're playing a, a bad opponent, then your ego might, you know, inflate the game. It, it might make it so you're not playing on your highest level, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Have you always kind of been that way or is that something that you've worked on kind of molded into a mentality?
2: I definitely, I think I've worked on it and I think life's experiences um, have have brought a lot of humility my way. <laughs> um, I think I think in high school I was... I was, I don't know, I wouldn't say borderline. I think I was cocky and arrogant and um, just through like injuries and uh, life, life circumstances and things like that, that I've had to really reflect and look at situations and um, take individual responsibility and ownership for certain outcomes. And so with that, with those things happening and life changes happening, it's just like, oh, like thinking about and reflecting on why certain things happen and um, those type of outcomes. And it's just like, it's, it's humbling for me. And so I feel like life's done and God's done a good job of um, uh, maybe bringing me down a notch when I I'm thinking, you know, like um, maybe I'm thinking too highly of myself. And so, yeah, I, I don't think I've always had that thought process, but once you, um, Get to some maybe some low prep places and um, things don't go your way. You, you have um, an opportunity to really reflect, and I think I try to do that honestly. And usually, when I when I reflect honestly, I can look at myself and be like, "Okay, this is where you were responsible. This is where you weren't. Now, um, what are some actions you can take to um, move forward properly?"
0: I love that. All right. So moving on, because I got to talk about it. Kyle Snyder, the youngest gold medalist and world champion in American wrestling history. Mm -hmm. And you pinned him on his last match in an Ohio State uniform. So just walk me through. Was it not his last?
2: That was his first NCAA. That was his first NCAA final. He was a freshman. I was a 50 year senior.
0: So my New Year's resolution is to um, fact check. And I swear I saw that on Wikipedia. So I, I I'm already break. Oh, my you
2: can't use Wikipedia. You get you get I like know. a F for that in high school.
0: I oh, I know. I, I didn't do the greatest in high school. Mason
1: is way. awful at this. <laughs>
0: well, let's back back a little bit. Just tell me about how that feeling was, you know, that feeling of relief of, wow, I can finally eat some ice cream. And I finally did it. I'm finally a national champ. Just. What was that sensation like? Because, I mean, he's a hell of a wrestler. I, I was YouTubing some of his old matches, you know, bef- before this interview, and he was kicking ass. So just how was that feeling of knowing I'm a national champ and I damn well deserve it?
2: It was, it was great. It was amazing. And I think the, the thing that felt the best is that you could now say, like, with a sense of peace, that the people that invested in you, the people that, uh, yeah, the people that invested in you, the time you invested, you really, really felt like it paid off. Now, there, there things can go like one or two ways, right? In that, those situations, right? Like you cannot accomplish your goal, and you can feel like you did everything and uh, and be like, oh man, it it paid off, right? But I really felt like in that situation and that accomplishment, all the the tough practices it was all worth it um, for, for that, for that moment. It was a very special moment for myself, my family, um, the coaches, um, I think the university, you know? And so I'm very, very appreciative of that moment. And I had, I had a blast doing it. And and, I mean, Kyle and I have had our, our battles since then too, you know, Um, trying to make the world team, I had to, I had to go through him. And so, he kept me off the 17, 18, 19 world team. You know, we wrestled in 20. Um, He got injured in that bout, but I was able to come out uh, on top of that bout. And so, but then he made the Olympic team in 21, you know? And so it's like, man, would you, would you switch that moment for those Olympic teams, you know, or those world medals and stuff? And it's like, no, like you just have to get better. Right. And like, so um, after I beat him, he went on a, a crazy run of, you know, winning world, won three world and Olympic titles in a row, you know, in 15, 16, uh, in 17. And it's been kind of wild to watch, especially I think Flo just came out with um, uh, the top 100 American wrestlers of all time. And he's he's number five on that list. And uh, you won't think like I think he's like maybe like 25, 26. Um, he yeah, had 25 and he already has like seven world or Olympic medals. And so it's, it's honestly like mind blowing to, to see some of the things that he's done in his career. Um, Cause you knew he was going to be good, right? Like you knew he was going to be good, but I don't think, I didn't, I don't think in my mind, I thought he was going to be at this type of level. So it's been amazing to watch. Not always fun because um, it's the, it's, you know, delayed some of my goals, um, with us being at the same weight class still, but it's definitely gave me a, um, a barometer of what I need to do and someone that is like there so that you know, what, what needs to happen for you to achieve your goals.
0: Okay. So with on the same page with Kyle, This is going to be the stupidest way I can ask this question. I told you, I, I like to think I know wrestling, but I really don't. So in that match, he grabbed your leg, which you then, you know, pulled a reversal on him and pinned him immediately after. But in that moment, when he grabbed your leg and you're hopping on one foot, are you just thinking to yourself, to yourself, Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. I'm totally done for, or are you thinking I got him right where I want him"?
2: Honestly, I felt very, very confident about, where we were at in that match. Um technically we had saw we had saw some things earlier in the year when we had wrestled that made me a lot more confident in that positioning that we were going to get to. And I knew that position was going to show up maybe a couple of times in our match with him being in an underhook. So I was very calm about where we needed to be and how we needed to get there. Uh, didn't know how it would definitely show up but definitely had uh, a very good feeling that it would show up and when it did I was very peaceful because I had already told like the coaches and the NCAA because they, they like do videos um, beforehand and things like that they do videos beforehand and I told them basically like that I was you know I was planning to get a pin in the NCAA finals and I had told like one of my uh, old training partners that he didn't, you know, that wasn't one of his strong suits was upper body ties. And so I knew going into the match that if those opportunities showed up, that I was going to be in a good place. Love
1: it. So you mentioned that you've kind of had battles with him, you know, kind of throughout your career, you know, um, and that he's maybe impeded you to, to kind of maybe – you know, like you said, make certain teams or anything like that. Do you think as a, as a wrestler and a competitor, that's been something that has been a positive for you that, you know, I guess it's like trying to be like a basketball player when LeBron's just like dominating the NBA, like that, that constant of like someone who's holding such a, like a high level of excellence also motivates you. Um, like, does it kind of, you know, get that fire in you and like get you out of bed in the morning to like try and be better since you, you kind of seem to run into the the same person, uh, you know I was, I was noticing you guys you said you've you know ran into them multiple years in a row like d- how yeah. does that kind of like fuel you as a competitor
2: well definitely it, it makes you aware of your 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 flaws and your your failures and those failures are usually stepping stones if you can keep up the the growth and the honest reflection and then the the work that you have to put in it gives you an understanding of what needs to happen. So, I mean, those losses, every single one of them have been tough, right? Because you're, you feel like you're this close to accomplishing a lifelong dream and the way basically that it works in um, America is if you make the team, you're more than likely going to win a world or Olympic medal. And so, um, but only one person makes the team. So with that, information. You're just like, I just have to make the team and then continue training like I was uh, to continue just honestly reflecting things like that. And I'll have the opportunity because I mean, that's just how good America is in wrestling. And then to come up that close and that far away at the same time uh, for like three, four years straight, like I've been a a, a alternate the last four years since 17 um, has been has been tough, but it's been, again, humbling, right? And, and that's a, a consistent word in this interview, but it, it really is that because it's like, it makes you ask yourself those questions. Like, is this something that you really want? Are you, how much are you willing to give to this? You know? And so it's definitely tough, but um, it's definitely something that has has driven me in different ways, but I try to make sure that I look at my internal self more so for that discipline rather than externally.
1: So you talk a lot about sort of being honest and and truthful with yourself. And I think that's something that is super honorable and like also very tough to do as a human being. It's really hard, you know, especially in society. And even if you want to get like specific, like, you know, being a, a man in society, it's kind of seen as like, you're supposed to figure shit out or kind of like tough through stuff. How is sort of like tackling that mental component and being, you know, you know, seeking help mentally or, or, you know, getting help when you kind of need it or being honest with yourself. How is that like something that, you know, we, we see that you're really vocal about your, your mental health journey and everything like that. Um, And how has that helped you develop to become a better athlete and a better person as well?
2: Well, I think it's very, it's delicate, right? Because if I asked you or a high level performer, if like, Hey, did you give everything to this? You know Um, some people be like, yeah, you know, I gave it everything. And it's like, okay, well, then what do you have left for anything else? You know? And so trying to find, the spaces to give essentially what you're willing to give is, is tough because everybody won't agree with that. Right. Um, If you're not in the wrestle room 24 seven or in the weight room or in the, you know, workout facility 24 seven, everyone might not agree with that or your coaches, your sponsors, the people that have, again, they've invested as well, uh, might not agree with that. But then I guess in that same breath, it's like, well, are you guys giving me everything? You know, like you guys have other athletes, you have other people you're investing in. So is it fair for you to say, ask me if I'm giving everything when you're not doing the same, you know? And so it's um it's delicate, but it's I think it's important for people to, essentially know what they're willing to give, how much are they willing to invest? Um, Maybe not as much sacrifice, but how much are they willing to invest in their dreams without there being a guarantee that there's going to be some huge payout in the end. Um, And that person has to know what that looks like, um, because everyone can maybe tell you what they would do until they have to make that decision for themselves. And so Um, that's just something I've learned more with, um, I think being, um, being a dad, you know, fatherhood is like, oh, well, if, if I give everything to this, how much energy will I have for my daughter, you know, and how will I be able to, you know, navigate that relationship and make sure that relationship strong, if I'm giving all my energy and time to my own personal achievements, you know? So it's, um, it's delicate, but I think it's important for each person to know, and what their purpose is so that they can find people that align with that purpose and then know uh, how far and how much they're willing to give. Because if you don't know how much you're willing to give, you can't set the boundaries. Right. And I think that's a kind of a buzzword with mental health and things right now is is, is boundaries. Right. And if you can't set boundaries um, with someone or, or something right, then you're going to probably have a pretty maybe unbalanced life where you won't feel fulfilled in other ways. So I'm just trying to continue reflecting on those things within my own life because there's things in my life that are are important to me outside of wrestling. And wrestling has been a huge, huge, of huge importance to me in my life. It's been my vehicle. You know, I got a, a scholarship from it. Um, I got my education paid for a master's degree paid for I've been able to provide uh, a lifestyle for myself based off a lot to do with wrestling at, at this point and so um, I'm super appreciative of that vehicle that wrestling has provided for me to navigate this this world so
0: it's awesome. Well, I, I know one other thing that's pretty important to you is uh, just ice cream. So <laughs> but honestly, that that interview at the end of your uh, look at that. Look at that. So he's holding up um, an Iowa State creamery cone. Is Was that the uh, the championship Kaivin Doe? Yeah. It
2: championship
0: was So I wanted to ask about the creamery because I like I said, I graduated in 2018. Was the creamery a thing back then or was this something that you helped start up?
2: No, no, no. I didn't help. I didn't help start it up, although I wish I would have. Um, okay. The Creamy opened in 2020, I think. Okay. August, August of 2020. So it reopened. So it used to be open, and they shut it down, and then it reopened in August of 2020. And uh, okay. we, I was there with my manager, um, Erica Andorf, and business partner, and she went and talked to Doctor, Doctor Clark and Miss Sarah, and I talked to them about creating the ice cream, and um, from there it just kind of took off. We I got to do the whole process, pick out the name, uh, pick out the ingredients and everything, and you know even create a story for it. So it was really it was a really cool process. Well, definitely something that was on my like life bucket list. So I had a blast.
0: That, it was so cool, man. I mean, when I first saw the creamery, like I said, I, I didn't even see it when I was in college. So I just actually assumed that you helped start it up. But, um, I, I was going to ask a question why, why we called it the creamery, because I think that's too just perfect of a name. But, um, in that interview, you just had so much adrenaline running through you. It was so funny to just watch it. You were just bouncing up and down. You couldn't stand still. And and I don't even know if he had another question for you, but you're like, I just want some ice cream, man. I just want some ice cream. And he just walked off and and I, I was, I rewatched it again today. I still laughed my
2: ass off. Like, was it just pure adrenaline in that moment? It was definitely pure adrenaline. But the thing, if you go back and watch it um, now, I guess with this backstory, you'll have a better understanding of why, why I did it because Once my dad, like, got sick and it became, like, public news, I had basically put a weight on myself that I had to win because my dad was sick. So my sophomore year, I had to win nationals because my dad was sick. Uh, He passed away after Big 12s that year. So I won Big 12s, came back, gave him the medal. I mean, he passed away, like, an hour and a half later, okay? So then that was March 11th. 2013 then a few days later you basically have the ncaa championships and it's in des moines Um, so like at the ncaa championships i'm like i gotta win because my dad just passed away right like like i gotta win i have to so then i ended up taking six so then my whole time after that my thought process was like now like as a junior I really have to win because my dad was sick. So I got ranked number one in the country or because my dad passed away. So I got ranked number one in the country. I was looking like I definitely could be an NCAA champ that year and I didn't win. Right. And just through reflection and looking at myself, it was like, I'm not having fun with wrestling. And I was like, why am I not having fun with wrestling? And it was because my, my um, motivation had become external it had become oh you have to win because your dad passed away not Mm. I'm looking I'm going into practice looking to get better I'm looking to find different ways it was all oh because your dad passed away so it was just like this big like cloud hanging over my head and I didn't do a good job of carrying that and I don't think I should have put that on myself to carry Uh, I never had wrestled for my dad previously and I shouldn't have started wrestling for my dad but that was something that had got me into gear after you know some shoulder injuries and things like that so the whole time after my junior junior season where I took four i just took a bunch of time off from wrestling and just trying to figure out how I could get back to falling in love with the sport that I fell in love with as a kid and and with that I was just able to wrestle my senior year, just basically at peace with whatever happened. Like it was like, just have fun. Whatever happens, happens. You won't you're only gonna wrestle f- for the next six months and you'll be done on March 21st, regardless of what happens, whether you win an NCAA title or not. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have one win to win an NCAA title. Um and so when the interview was happening, the, my first thought process after winning wasn't, oh, your dad died. <laughs> like That wasn't like like the first thought process. So when he, he goes, like, you know, how does it feel? And I'm just like, oh, man, snap. Dad's not here to see this. And I was like, oh, man, I'm about to start tearing up. And he's like, and I was just like, I'm, I'm just super grateful. My mom, my dad, everyone, they deserve this. And he goes, so how does it feel? And like you said, it was pure adrenaline. I was like I think he just asked me the same question twice and (laughs) at that point I had just like recognized that the media loves a good story right and with that they'll prompt you to to get answers that they want and so when you get the story that they want to create that this kid dad died and he finally completed this mission um that they had set out for while they were when he was a kid that he was going to be NCA champ and it's it's culminated that he's NCA champ that's a great story for them i'm like yo dog i'm not crying on national television right now <laughs> like i'm jacked up right and so i was just trying to think happy thoughts and so my mind went to ice cream And, um, yeah, that's, that's how that came about. I
0: I love that, man. Well, I mean, um, firstly, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad, but it's really cool. Kind of how you, you can tell that he meant so much to you, you know, and you wanted to, Uh, You know, you found motivation to honor him, which you've found later on that maybe that wasn't the best way to motivate yourself. But what was what was one thing? Maybe it was wrestling. Maybe it was something in life. If you don't mind me asking that your dad instilled you with kind of like a life value that you still hold to this day.
2: When we were kids, my sister and I got in trouble. Um, I forgot what we did, but I know our punishment was we had to write what's done in the dark will eventually come to the light like 10,000 or not 2,000, a thousand times. That was our punishment. And so we were like stuck in our rooms writing that until, um, until it got done. And so I would say that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned um, from my father it was just that what's done in the dark will eventually come, come to light, whether that's good, whether that's bad, whether it's, you know, beautiful, whether that's ugly, what you do, um, in the dark will eventually come to light. And so, um, that was something that stuck with me for a good portion of my life.
0: I love that. That's a great one.
1: Yeah. I, I also really loved, um, how you kind of talked about the external motivation was something that wasn't allowing you to sort of succeed or kind of reach a a goal or, or doing something for, you know, not exact, that's not exactly like you know, the reason that you want to accomplish something. I think that's just so true in life that so many people can be pressured by outside forces or by these like intrin- extrinsic motivations when in reality, they need to be doing what motivates them internally and what will, you know, kind of fulfill them the most. I really don't have a question on it. I just, I love the way that you, you talked about that because I, I think that is such a, a common thing for anyone, you know, even if just like career path or, or certain things on on day to day where we kind of get stuck in, in doing things for others or what we, what's expected of us or, or what, you know, people think that we should be doing versus what we want to be doing or what would truly motivate us or allow us to like achieve our, our max potential. And, you know, you, you kind of showed that, that getting caught in that, that web and and then realizing like, Hey, like, I just love the sport of wrestling. And I I want this to come back to like that simpleness of like, I, I, I very much enjoy this and I want to get back to, to that aspect of, of why I want to be so good at it. Um, and I, I just really want to say that I I, I sort of love that, you know, um, just sort of that, that mindset and framing you had with it. So.
2: I appreciate it.
1: You're muted, Mason. (laughs)
0: Literally, I, I knew that was going to happen. I'm coughing over here like a maniac. And I'm like, one of these times I'm going to speak on mute. It's going to suck. Um, so the, one of my last questions I was going to ask, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, did I read correctly, not on Wikipedia, that um, the International Olympic Committee was possibly looking at dumping wrestling for 2020? Obviously, that was overturned. But was that, did I read that correctly?
2: Yes, that was back in 20. 20- 2013 when that happened, that they were gonna drop okay. 2020. Yep.
0: So okay, first of all, why was that an initial thought? Like, are you able to catch me up to speed there? And and secondly, is is there like a shift in how people are perceiving that, you know, globally, the sport of wrestling?
2: Well, I think it was just because there was probably multitude of reasons, maybe some like maybe corruption a little bit, I guess you could say. Um, but then just the inability to appease or collect casual fans just because of the intricacies or the failure to simplify wrestling and make it like something that someone can turn on and just watch, right? Like if you turn on soccer, you know that if they kick the ball into the goal, it's a point, right? Mm -hmm. And wrestling has some interesting nuances that, uh, weren't very fan friendly or even competitor friendly. So, um, with that, I think that message that they were going to drop, it really woke some people up in the international wrestling community. And I think they've done a better job now of trying to create something that's more, um, fan and competitor friendly so that they can continue to try and build, uh, on this, this sport that we, we in the wrestling community like to call the oldest and greatest.
0: I love that. Well, that does segue me. So I I said earlier on in one of our episodes, I like watching wrestling in high school. I'd always go to our wrestling meets because they would dim the lights, you know, have a spotlight down. It's just such a cool environment. There's so much hype. However, I don't know how it's scored. I, I mean, I kind of do like I can tell when there's a point on TV because, you know, there's a nice little bar at the bottom of my screen that tells me that they got a point. But when I'm just watching it and not really paying attention to any scoreboard, all I look at is, oh, Kyvan's kicking his ass. He's probably winning, but I don't really know who's actually winning. So right. as a casual, because I know there are a lot of people like me, you know, is there a way to simplify or is there a way as a fan where I can simplify it for myself? So, you know, maybe it's not as confusing to me, the scoreboard.
2: I would say if you're talking about watching American college wrestling or American high school wrestling, the point of folk style wrestling is control. So when you you start the match in neutral position, which is both people on their feet, the point is for one person to get the other person and take them down. So that will be a two point uh, take down. But then after that, the goal is to put the person on their back and hold their shoulders down. So I think that's the ultimate goal is to put them on their back and pin them. Um, if you can't do that, the next best thing to do is just score a lot of points. So you can take someone down, let them up, take them down, let them up, take them down, let them up. Each time you take them down, it's two points. Each time they get away is one point. So to simplify it, um, it's about control and it's just about uh, dominating the other person. And as a casual uh, fan or someone that hasn't really gotten to it, into it, um, that's what I think would simplify it for, for me, if I were watching, or you can just listen to me commentate. I think I, I try to do a good job of explaining what's happening and why it's important. So if, anyone ever has the opportunity and wants to become a casual fan, they can go, um, go watch, listen to me, commentate, and maybe they'll learn something.
0: Okay. Um, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've had some issues with ESPN plus in the past with, I would say basketball more than anything. So I think I just probably need a, I need a, I need to get over my own pride. Right. And just watch ESPN plus watch, watch Kyvan. I'll actually understand wrestling.
2: Yeah, I, I I think I could I think I could help a little bit. All
0: right, well, can you help um, get us a sign last on.
2: Question. Yeah, that too.
1: You said what? I said, can you help get us a sign on? We we've uh, been jokingly uh, saying we're we're holding out on it because was that I, I They had a. I mean, the West Virginia game was on it this year, and it was awful to watch that was for football. That was the, was so that, was
0: the that was the rage quick game, Kyven. Yeah. So. Not only did we lose to West Virginia in fraudulent, humiliating fashion, but uh, on top of that, we just, we, we didn't like the commentators there. Brandon right. Whedon still is still bitter toward Iowa state. I, I'm, t- I guess maybe that's something to watch out for bias. I mean, another fan base will hate you because I don't like Brandon Whedon anymore.
2: <laughs> right. I hear you. We ruined his, we ruined his, um his time here in 2011. <laughs> We did. He's still, I was at that game. It. it was absolutely
0: nuts. The, I was at that in the sky box with one of my friends, Grant, thank you for taking me, but it sucked because that was still, you know, before we could drive, like our parents drove us up to the game and everyone stormed the field and I'm sitting in the sky box unable to do so because they're afraid they're going to lose us, which I mean, we were, we were little shits at that time. Yeah, so they we definitely
2: would have got lost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: All right, man. Well, my very last question is just I was just wondering if you can kind of enlighten us a little bit more on the Be Rare initiative.
2: Oh, yeah. The Be Rare initiative. Well, the Be Rare initiative, um, I guess you could say spawned from um, my manager and I were having a conversation about kind of legacy and how we wanted to serve in our community. And Be Rare was something that I kept in my my headgear. Uh, when I was in college, so it was the, the, the initial thought process was only 10 people get to be NCA champs every year. So if you want to be an NCA champion, you have to be rare. And what words or action words can you embody that are rare? And it was like, if you're relentless, if you're aggressive, if you're resilient in your, um, electric, or you execute at a very high level, you'll be rare. And so that's where it all started. And then, and that was something I just kind of tried to embody just my everyday person. So it started as a wrestling thing. um, And then I tried to have it embody, you know, my everyday person, be responsible, accountable, respectful, and effective. And then uh, we were just thinking about when I went to grad school, a lot of my grad school was dealing with emotional intelligence and um, EQ, as as they call it, and social and emotional intelligence. And so we were thinking about what it did for me at 22 years old, um, learning about emotional intelligence and your thought process and reflecting and things like that. It's like, what if you give this to kids, you know, that are you know, in third grade or middle school, if you give them the opportunity to to create that thinking process and think for themselves like that, what will it do for them in terms of them being able to make, you know, proper decisions and things like that. And so that's how be rare came about. And we're, we started in, uh, May of 2020 just getting the groundwork going, uh, we just added our second be rare leader or be rare, um, kid. And so we're, we're working through it. We're just trying to make, make a difference. And, uh, I'm just trying to use the platform that I, I do have to impact, inspire and influence, you know, the next generation, um, whether that's wrestlers, um, whether that's, you know, a kid that likes music, whether that's a kid that, um, is a, wants to be an engineer, but, I feel like part of a big part of my purpose is to help other people achieve you know their dreams and so with with my platform I'm, I'm just trying to do that and um, I'm very excited about be rare and our mission statement is to help kids you know create he- healthy social and emotional learning patterns through their creative outlets. And like I kind of talked about earlier, wrestling was my creative outlet. It was my vehicle. And every kid has a race that they can win. Uh, mine was wrestling. Another kid's race might be running. Another kid's race might be art. Um, another kid's race might be music, right? But every kid has a, has a race that they can win. And I think our responsibility as maybe adults is to kind of get out the way, let them find that race and then help them navigate ways to help that race be their vehicle, you know? And so, um, yeah.
0: I love that new. We are
1: officially a B rare podcast.
0: Okay.
1: I'm (laughs) all for it. I I got motivated by like, listening to that. I, I mean, I think your like outlook on life is I, I love it. Like just kind of the, all the honesty and, and like, you know, like it's, it's, it's extremely refreshing and um, you know, I, I guess this kind of, kind of leads me into my last question is like, you know, what would you ideally love to see yourself doing in the future? Like if you kind of had like a, a dream job for diving down the road or, or what, what, I, I mean, you said like, you really want to be impacting and, and helping change like, you know, children or younger people's lives. Like, you know, I, I guess it's just kind of, where do you envision yourself or how do you think you could make that, that biggest impact?
2: I'm not really sure yet. I I thought that I wanted to be an athletic director, like right now I'm in my office at Iowa State. Um, I'm an associate for the student athlete and letter winner engagement in that office. And I get to um, I get to be a part of the student athletes journeys, their cyclone journey. So that's been really cool. Um, I started that role in in July. Um, And I've had a great time learning under Lindsay Long here. And so like, that's been really fun with me. Like my other coworkers, Allie and Marissa, they've been like great and just helped me get up to speed and um, teaching me things. I'm just like, wow, there's like, there's so much to it, you know? And like, when I think about the athletic department, it's so big, right? It's huge. Like there's, um, there's graphics people, communications people, there's um, all the different coaches and their disciplines. There's, um, there's the business side of it. There's the nutrition side of it. There's the, the development and the fundraising side. There's everybody at Cyclones TV. You know, there's so many moving pieces to it. And there's so much, there's the custodial staff, there's the event management people. Like, so there's so many people that go into making, Like those Hilton memories go off without like a hitch or those Jack Trice, you know, you know, stadium storm, you know, like go off without, you know, something like super negative happening. So like I call I call all those people like the unseen. Right. Like you don't get to see those people, but they're just as equally important to, um, you know, you know, George Niang being able to make a, you know, game winning shot in the Hilton Coliseum or uh, Brees Hall being able to, you know, have his, his touchdown winning streak. Right. There's so many people that are unseen in those stories that are very impactful and very important to those stories. And so um, now I'm in like a, a, I would a, a new place for me. Right. Because I started to understand that, like really understand that like my senior year of college, like that, Like man, there's a lot of people that go into me being able to go into Hilton Coliseum and just worry about you know wrestling and doing my thing. You know, like I don't have to wash my own singlets as equipment staff, right? Like I don't have to worry about um, what I'm gonna eat after weigh-ins. Molly Donnelly does that, Uh, and so all those people that don't get seen, you know, like on ESPN and everything like that, but they're very important. So. To answer your question, I'm not really sure. I just know that I want to live in my purpose, which I believe is uh, helping people and serving people, and um, I just want to be a, a great dad. And so, um, if I can um, serve my daughter the proper proper way, and I can serve other people the proper way, I think I'll be um, very fulfilled when. Um, the clock strikes, you know, strikes out for me. So, um, yeah.
1: I love that. And, and hopefully at least it's, um, staying in the Iowa state athletic department and, and helping build a, an even better culture, continuing to grow the culture there with kind of the mentality and mindset you have in your, on your life and and whatnot. And then lastly, I have an extremely dumb question. Um, do you think there's any chance that if, Mason and I can do like anything goes in a wrestling, I don't even know match or whatever that we could ever get you pinned down two on one. Like if we were could somehow coordinate that, or Absolutely would you just not. kick our ass? Amazing.
2: Absolutely not.
1: Well, could you guys both pin think... down at the same time somehow?
2: That's I, yeah. I there doubt, you go. I doubt that. I doubt that. But I definitely know you guys can't pin me. <laughs> like I'm, I'm very positive. But like, like, you, what, what are you weighing, Mason?
0: I, so that was the thing I'm at like 185 right now. Cause I just had COVID, but I, I, used to be at 200. So I was going to say, what if I just sit like on top of you while you're standing up? And then, you know, Newt does one of those things where he goes for your legs. So it's oh, what if we tabletop
1: him? What if we tab- yeah, tabletop?
0: What if we tabletop? Yeah. <laughs> I,
2: I doubt it. I doubt it. Actually, but isn't I'm that a science? No. Cause the I step over the table or I jump over the table. I jump okay. on top of the table. Yeah, you probably just break the table. If, if I'm <laughs> I mean, the table here, that I'm table's just, getting I, broken pretty I'm, easily. I'm that guy. Now, <laughs> like now, you're putting me into that wrestling mode where I'm have to be that guy. This so, is always the
1: best mode when we get athletes on. Like if we we even do like some little hypothetical, they're always just like, "No, I will immediately kick your ass." And we're like, <laughs> "Yeah, we know. We just have to ask." Like. <laughs> Oh, uh, was it? EJ is like, you guys could both try and guard me, and I'm I'm easily catching every ball thrown my way. And we're like, yeah. What if we just literally don't like tackle your arms? You can't do anything. It's like I'll still catch him. Like, All right, yeah. That's
0: the thing is, we've watched the Big Twelve reps enough to the point where we know we can get away with stuff. Yeah, so we like, you could pay a lot. EJ Bibbs, we're holding on each arm. He's not going to catch it unless he
2: catches it with that's his true. face mask. You know. Right. Hey, that's real. <laughs> that's real. That's a lot of. That's a larger arm to hold on to. EJ's was a big guy.
0: He, he was. was yeah. He
1: is a big dude.
0: Yeah. I don't know. He's not that great I in the think, red zone, uh,
1: though, but it's about her. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know, Kyvan. I think if we uh, get you, you know, in a nice little flu match, like when you're feeling pretty sick, you know, and both of us are coming at you at once and not abiding by any sort of NCAA rules, I don't know. We could... What well, if we have if weapons, you're, if you're what abiding abiding
2: abiding weapons? rules? Then I'm not neither. And then that oh, makes fuck. me much more dangerous.
0: Man. Yeah, that
1: doesn't. Yeah, that's like that yeah. yeah we, we should probably go by rules so we don't die. Yeah. Let's just back back pedal here.
0: Forget we asked. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this has seriously been so much fun. Um, Everyone go to Iowa state creamery right now and get the, I don't want to screw it up. The championship Kaivin dough ice cream, right? Is that, that what it's called?
2: That is that being
0: Awesome, man. Well, seriously, we really appreciate your time, man. And um best of luck moving forward. If you ever if you ever need anything from us, a social media account, just slide in the DMs, okay?
2: All right. And then um my my call to action is if um anyone has if they donate to a charity or anything like that, you can donate to Be Rare and it's a 501c3 nonprofit, so it would be a write-off for for anyone that chose to go that route and we really appreciate the, the support. So um, if you can't do that, uh, a follow, a like, or a share on um, the major platforms outside of TikTok um, would be appreciated too. So thank you guys for the support. Thank you guys for um, bringing me on and letting me speak and um, I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Kaivin. Yeah, we'll get all the Be Rare stuff posted. Please go donate. And one last thing we like to do is we just like to sign off and give our listeners a solid roll, clone. So again, Kaivin, thank you so much for coming on, man. And roll
2: clones, roll clones, roll clones, baby.
0: All right. Thank you very much to Kaivin. He did not have to give us that much time or to be that patient with us on our lack of wrestling knowledge. Yeah. We, we kind of knew that we were going to have to set our pride aside for that one, just so we could talk to him. Cause we really wanted to talk to Kaivin. Um, also quick little correction, um bnc is closed on tuesdays i apologize apparently they're open on mondays now so i don't know if that's new but they are open on mondays from 4 p.m to 1 a.m so make sure you guys visit there on mondays too uh and on top of that just go and support them go and support our boy ben Got the best drink deals on Welch Avenue, as well as best cheeseburgers, best food on Welch Avenue. We got some huge games this upcoming week, upcoming weekend. If you're not watching the national championship on at BNC Fieldhouse, I don't know what you're doing. If you're not going to watch all of these playoff games this upcoming weekend at BNC Fieldhouse, I don't know what to tell you either, but you guys better get on over there. Enjoy some Thursday uh, mug deals and drag shows, as well as Friday after class deals of $5 wraps and $3 audioses. And as always, thank you for tuning in and Rural Clones.
1: Roll clones, baby.